1800s, the Wild West was a place that was void of God's law and every man did what was right in his own eyes. More than 95% of Americans lived in places with fewer than 2,500 inhabitants. By 1830, the distance of the prairie needed circuit riders to spread God's word. Some called them saddlebag preachers. These were a different kind of clergy, used to long, dusty roads and lonely, empty spaces. They rode from church to church on horseback. These days, many of those same places still have less than 2,500 folk. The men and women who are called there are still a different breed of clergy. The needs are different, but the call to reach men and women with the message of Christ is still the same. In the spirit of these circuit riders, we aim to meet a few of those specific needs. Welcome to the Circuit Rider Podcast. Here are your hosts. And welcome back to the Dirt Road Circuit Riders Podcast. I am Steve McVeigh. We are sitting in the dining room, which is actually an extended kitchen. Yes, it is. In Reading, Michigan, a small community at Crossroads Farm. I am with Doug Rutledge <laughs> and Michael Houle, and we have been listening to an incredible interview that uh, was done with Jeff Clark. And we're going to come to that in just a minute. Um, last, last time we talked about how we are missionaries. And one of the ways that you know that you're a missionary in rural America is when you walk into a diner. So I'm just going to ask, okay, and if this goes way off the rails, we'll just have them cut it right out of this podcast. What is the most? What are the chances? We, we don't cut anything out of this. Yes. Never. What, I, what's the right word? I don't know if interesting is the right word, but what is the most unique thing that you can share uh, that you've ever seen in a small town diner? Hmm. Uh, so I'll start. So I always see the same guys there. It, it's yeah. always the same people, which I love. Uh, and it's how you know you're accepted when people will talk to you in the diner instead of stare at you in the diner. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's the difference, right? Um, so I, I will just tell you this. This is coming up, and I'm very excited about it. We have an all-you-can-eat uh, smelt. The smelt fry. That's classic. Listen, guys, um, I got to tell you, people that aren't from this area, you guys yeah. are in Wisconsin and Michigan. Yeah. They don't know what smelt is. In Kansas, we don't it's, know what it's smelt manna from, It's manna from heaven. It's manna oh from, God. yeah, I don't know. If Google it, right? Heaven. Yeah. So they're tiny fish, they're, yeah. and you just throw them in the fryer, you fry them up. I don't, don't know. clean them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what know. they do, but um, usually they're not eating heads. But I, so I went to, uh, I was at the diner last week because that's what I do. That's the way I keep my girlish figure up mm. by mm. eating deep fried smelt. Yes. And they'd run out. Um, so it's uh, the Tragedy. smelt run is about to happen. I'm just saying that's unique. When you when you walk in, you're like, you got smelt? <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we got I, them today. We got I got to admit, I've smelt some things in diners. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> wow. I, you know. This, the smelt fry is a Wisconsin tradition, but mm. the most interesting part is when you walk into anybody that claims they can do a fish fry. Mm-hmm. It's insulting in Wisconsin. This, anybody else can do a fish fry like Wisconsin. If you ask Wisconsin, Wisconsin okay. people this, this is a true fact. So one day I was walking into a diner, and uh, the whole the whole reality of it was it was it was lunchtime, and they were getting the fish fry ready, and someone had the audacity to special order it. And they said they wanted a certain mm. way baked instead of instead of in the deep fryer. Okay, it was a red flag right there automatically. <laughs> yes. The second thing is 
they they said they said they said they wanted like some type of uh, special I don't know seasoning on it. Yes, mm. and, and and the mm. lady smiled and said okay, and everybody like it got quiet. No one talked and <laughs> yes. looked at her, and the lady made the most foolish comment you can make in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. She says, "Oh, I saw the Titanic." And the minute you say that, you're you have to leave the town, right? Because right. Lake Wasoda is mentioned in the Titanic. Lake Wasoda is the mm-hmm. lake next to Chippewa Falls. It is a man-made lake, and they will all tell you there it did not exist when Titanic sunk. It's an incredible <laughs> insult to a Chippewa. So by that point, that lady got really uncomfortable because the room got dead quiet. Yes, and. And thankfully that we were Midwest nice, so nothing else happened. But I almost waited for like literally a gun to be pulled or something at that point. Midwest nice. I love it. I just, yeah. I As opposed know. to city mean. Right. I don't know. No, I just know that when you when you go to a <laughs> diner, you assume it's deep fried. And second of all, right. there's no garnish being added. That's yes. what the fat is for. <laughs> that's what they call that's the, oil. Well, it's called beer batter, actually. Oh, oh my goodness. Right. right. Yeah. 20 years ago, I was I was just learning rural culture. I mean, I'd only been in big cities, and um, I, I went in this diner, and I'm not even going to say what town it is, <laughs> and there was a guy who had his one cheek full of chew mm. while he ate a cheeseburger. And I had never quite seen anything like that. And that's when I knew I was in a different culture than the one that I was used to. I, I want to share one more story that triggered. I was at a diner once, and as I walked in, first small town I um, moved to as a teacher, actually, and the sign the door used says, you know, shirts and shoes required. It said shirts and shoes are optional. I had mm. never seen that till that moment. <laughs> I gotta go back to the guy chewing yes. and eating at the I same time. I don't know. Like you gotta be careful of your Coke bottle at the table at that point. Yes, you well, do. You <laughs> maybe it has and only rural people understand that comment. <laughs> yes, you gotta be careful which Coke bottle you drink from at that table. So, so here's how you would flavor. insult. Here's how you would insult someone from another town. Do you know how to tell if a car is from such and such a town, whatever whatever town is like right. the adversary to your town? Mm-hmm. There's chewing tobacco stains on both sides of the pickup. But anyway, we better jump into <laughs> so far, rural pastors, you have received nothing spiritual. Other than this, I think that like if you were a missionary, and that is really what we talked about last week as we listened to, to Jeff Clark share with us, um, if you're a missionary, one of the first places you should go is a diner, because that's where you're going to learn a lot about that culture if you have a diner. Lamont's it's, not big enough to have a diner. It's one of the only places I'm going to go, and I'm going to go there a lot. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that is so great. So we are in the middle of an interview with Jeff Clark, and Jeff Clark works right now with the International Missions Board. He's a rural church expert with them. He has planted in uh, rural towns and in Orlando, which isn't a rural town. He was raised in Middle Tennessee, and he is just someone we really, really love. He works with Rural Matters Institute. We met him through Rural Matters Institute. And last episode, we really focused on the fact that rural America is a mission field. And what I'm about to ask Jeff, we're going to jump right into the middle of this interview. I'm about to ask Jeff, what does that mean? I mean, as opposed to just being a pastor, what does it, like, if I'm a missionary, not just a pastor, what does that mean? And so we're going to listen to to this part of the interview, and, and pastors, we just want you to know, you have, this is pure gold. We really believe this. It, the further he goes with this answer, the deeper, it, it's like he really, it's like the onion. 
He is on peeling the onion, and every time he says something new, it is deeper, and it is right at the heart of what it means to be a real pastor. So let's jump into this. Jeff Clark with Real Matters Institute International Mission Board. What does it mean to be a missionary? That, that just fits in so much with what we believe, and I think Real Matters Institute that you're a part of, I did not mention that in the introduction, that you work with Real Matters Institute as well. I think they've done a beautiful job of highlighting that. Rural America, rural ministry isn't the minor leagues, but what, I, what I'd like to really press into, okay, because I, I think that overall, rural pastors are really beginning to understand this, that rural America is a, a mission field they're beginning to understand that it's a calling because one of the things that I, I firmly believe is that mission fields require missionaries who are called to them. And so they understand I'm not climbing up a ladder, but can I just be honest? I, I Many of us just feel so inadequate. We weren't trained to be missionaries. We were trained to be, if we were trained at all, we were trained to be traditional suburban church pastors. And, and, and you have been a missionary. You've been a missionary for some time, and I I just want to ask you, how do you think like a missionary? How do you act like a missionary? Like, if I buy this, okay, a rural pastor is a missionary. From your missionary heart and your missionary perspective, can take as long as you'd like your Jeff to say, how do we do that? Again, uh, we have to understand the difference between a minister and a missionary. A a minister is... uh, uh, pastoring and working in the culture that's similar or identical to where he came from. Uh, so if I went back to my hometown um, uh, to pastor, I'd be a minister. Missionary, specifically, is somebody who goes across culture. Uh, uh, again, the most effective, now let me say this as a disclaimer at the very beginning, the most effective person in a community would be somebody who uh, is more ministerial than missionary. Um, to give you an example, uh, I grew up in a, 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 a little country town, like I said, in, in the hills of Tennessee. Uh, if a Chinese man came to my town to start a church, he would face overwhelming hurdles. Uh, learning, the, learning English and then learning hillbilly English would be two um, strikes against him to begin with, much less trying to break into the community, find people who would be interested in a Bible study. But if I found somebody from Nashville, Tennessee, although they're from the city, they're still more effective. They're from, they're from Tennessee. You know, if I got somebody from the next town over, he's going to be extremely effective because he is from the culture, understands the culture, knows the county. Now, we have needs for both. We need, we need uh, ministers who can go into the next county over and start work and start and stuff. But we also need missionaries. A missionary is somebody who goes across culture. What's, what's the first thing a missionary does when he, when he lands in a foreign place, uh, in a new culture? You have to learn the language. When you move from uh, Michigan to to Nebraska, uh, you had to learn the language. Very first thing, uh, you know, in farming, you need to know the difference between a heifer and a steer, right? <laughs> I uh, did when fishing, I got you, need... Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, if you're fishing, you need to know the difference between chumming and jigging. You know, if, if you're a, a miner, 
uh, like uh, when I worked in West Virginia, I learned the difference between anthracite and bitumen. Uh, I had no idea that there's different kinds of coal. For the American context, you don't, and learning the language doesn't mean you have to speak it. You just have to understand it. When I moved to northern Michigan, um, that, uh, the area had an accent much like uh, the movie Fargo. I didn't learn to speak that language. I learned to understand it. Okay. Um, so that uh, when I saw a bumper sticker that said, say y'all to the UPA, I knew what that meant. You know, you have to, the first thing you have to do is be able to, language learning is learning the culture. And you have to learn the culture no matter what your preconceived assumptions are. Like, uh, I grew up on a farm. Does that mean I know every farming? I, I can just walk in anywhere and be accepted? No. When I got to Montana, they had farms, but it was a very different. I learned the difference between farming and ranching. First of all, we had no ranches in Tennessee, and uh, ranchers don't like to be called farmers. You know, that's a that, that was a real no-no where I where we were in Montana. But um, farmers, uh, the scale and the scope of what they were doing was so much bigger. I've never seen tractors that size and equipment that size and uh i've never seen uh, irrigation uh, uh, pivots uh, uh, in tennessee we didn't have those things we had enough rain throughout the summer that irrigation wasn't an issue you have to learn you have to learn the language you have to learn the culture and part of that culture is you learn the history of the community you, you learn what they like what they don't like uh, what's important to that community. Um, you know, if you came to my county, um, high school football would be very, very important. You need to go to all the high school football games. Um, you know, I learned in Michigan how to ice fish. Uh, I'm not sure that I understand why completely. Um, if, if I want frozen fish, I can get that at the store, but that's you know, sitting uh, sitting on a five-gallon bucket on ice at 20 below zero was fun in that culture, I guess. And so you learn these, um, you learn the culture, you learn the language. Um, that's absolutely necessary for being able to make the connection with the community. Uh, a lot of times we go in assuming that we know we know the Bible. We've got our seminary training. That's all we need to know. What we find is we're woefully unprepared when we land on the ground. When I landed in Taiwan, I had a lot of Bible knowledge. I, I had an own doctorate, but uh, I had to learn culture and context. And with that come stages of learning. When, I, when you first land in a new place, everything is exciting and new. Oh, these people are wonderful. Um, you know, that lasts for about six months. Uh, then uh, for us, uh, uh, we landed in northern Michigan. That was our first. I've never been north of Louisville, Kentucky, until I had everything in a U-Haul going five hours north of Detroit. I didn't know there was five hours north of Detroit. Uh, uh, we go into a community where the radio station was filled in Polish on Saturdays. And... Uh, I, you know, I, I'm 
this Appalachian boy going, man, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is a whole new world, you know. At, at first, everything is great and exciting. And uh, then the first snow comes in October and <laughs> the snow keeps coming in November, December, January, February, March, April, you know. Um, then it seems like everything that's exciting, now everything is terrible. These people, you just can't believe what they do. Uh, you know, they they do this and they do that. And that, I think that phase lasts about two years or so. And after that phase, there's a slow, gradual phase of bonding with the community. This is where you slowly fall in love with the people. And that's a, I don't know. I don't know, maybe a four or five year process. And then somewhere after about seven years of being there, you identify with the culture. Uh, No longer, you you go from talking about they to talking about we. You don't say, they do this. But you start start hearing yourself say, we do this in our city. We do do church like this and uh, we are... We do this, and people say, what we are you talking about? Well, our town, this is how we do things, you know. You don't have immediate identification. That takes years to to develop. Um, so when you go cross-culture, you have, to, you have to go through the language learning, the culture learning, the history learning. You have to go through the, the stages of, of realizing these people aren't like me. Mm-hmm. And I can't... The hardest thing you have to learn is I can't make them like me. I have to learn how to be like them, uh, to become one of them, uh, to become an incarnation of Christ to them. Uh, um, And and then the hard part is the ultimate goal for uh, for somebody with a mission mindset is to realize your job is to continue to go to places where the gospel has not been preached. So that means in the United States, as a missional pastor, you have two choices. You can either keep moving from place to place to place, or you can raise up people within your church to be sent out. Does that make sense? And yeah, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it, gentlemen? I mean, that was... That was pure gold right there. And I'm just going to ask you because there's so much in there. Like if you were just going to highlight one or two things out of Jeff's answer to that question, what would you want to highlight? For me, it's the difference between coming uh, with a romantic curiosity, which is interesting to me. I wonder how many missions, ministries have been started in this uh, romantic period. You go, you visit a place, you're like, it's great. They have tulips and you know, whatever. <laughs> they, they have smelt. And, uh, and you like the quaintness of it, the romance of it, the, uh, the intrigue of it. Um, and you might even see some potential. And then within six months, it is really this this place. I, I can't believe the they period yes. happened so quickly. And I, I remember going through that. That's I, I think that's why youth ministers, new pastors, church planters go a year and a half, two years and a half, and they're like, I am out. It's because they never stop thinking of they. And that's where it leads to burnout. 
You know, that's the number one thing I notice. And I think the great part is when he says contextualize language. Mm. Contextualize the idea of your culture and learn it. So often I think we come in as young planters, and I know I can even speak to this. I'm going to change them yes, instead of me learning myself to understand their culture and appreciate it. And the second thing I think is so huge is the slow go of the kingdom that I always say. Mm. Seven years. And, and, yes. and, and that's like the best scenario. Yes. So seven years before you start using we... And, and if you catch that, what I'd like to, a follow-up question I had for him is like, so how long is it before they completely accept you as well? I mean, there's a seven-year period where it's a kind of a back-and-forth dance. You start to bond with them, but I'll make the arguments between year seven and, and year 10 is when the real fruit starts to produce itself. And so for all of you out there who's like in year two or three in Italian, you're like, this is they country you're in. You got to be patient and allow it to happen. And it's a miracle when it does. I, I always tell the story. We knew we were accepted at one point. We were about eight, nine years in, and someone came up to me and said, are you going to the class reunion? And I had to, I had to like embarrassingly say I'm not from that high school. I was like a little embarrassed about that. I didn't want to like fess up. I, I almost lied. I almost was tempted in the flesh to lie about it. But that's when you know you've been accepted. <laughs> or that you're a creeper. Yes. <laughs> One or the other. Yes. I loved I loved the fact that he talks about that because here's the thing. You have to be called. You have to be called where you are to give that much of your life to a place. Yeah, you know, Steve, this is so critical because I think you uh I think you jump in and and everybody wants quick effect. And yes. I also think this is a rural difference. You can't expect the change to happen quickly. Yeah. And if you don't go into a rural community saying, I'm, I'm in this long haul, uh, why come? Why come? You're just going to do damage, right? Exactly. Yes. And you know what? You hurt yourself. You hurt others. I've, I've coached and, and pastored pastors for a long time now. And one of the things I always tell them walking into all rural context is like, you're not going to change this overnight. They're not going to fall in love with you overnight. And if you're not really called to this and to the slow go of this, hmm. you're better like not to show up. And the other reality is that I think that's so important, and just to kind of finish this thought, is to say, you know what? You have to learn to fall in love with it. And you have to learn like, and you, and you have to lay down certain expectations of yourself and certain expectations of what you want the church to be. And that's so important. Yes, absolutely. I remember... And, and I think we'll wrap it up with this story um, because I, I, I think it just shows how it grows on you. The, probably the first couple months that we were in Lamont, um, we took off to town because, we, one, we were not used to the fact that we have to drive 40 miles to get to a major grocery store. I mean, you know, there's one within seven or eight miles, one of those mom and pop ones. But if you're going to go to like a major any, if you're going to go out to eat, you know, we got to go 20 miles, all that kind of stuff. So we took off to town. And when we do that, we drive right by the matriarch's house of the matriarch of our church. She's sort of our kitty corner next door neighbor. And we get down the road, our cell phone rings and it's, it's Bonnie. Okay. It's, and she's like, Hey pastor, where are you headed? Okay. And so I tell her, I hang up the phone. Okay. And I'm, I am officially, I am past the romantic stage at this point. I'm like, how nosy is that? I'm saying this to my wife. What, I can't go anywhere? And I've got to, I mean, you know, like, so flash forward 10 years later, you know, I'm I'm now a part of this culture, and I see Bonnie leaving for, you know, she's leaving, and I'm thinking, 
I need something from town. And if Bonnie's going to town, I want to know this because if you go to town where I'm from and we know you're going to town, everyone's going to call you with their shopping list if it's just one or two things. And so I call up Bonnie and I'm like, Bonnie, where are you going? And it occurs to me in that moment that I've become the very thing that I mocked when I first got there. And that's when I know I am a part of this now. And I really, truly believe that that is part of being a missionary. So, Pastor, if you're listening to this, and we talked last time about, you know, you're a missionary, and you want to know what that means, it means you're in it for the long haul. You're you're there not to change the people, the culture. You're the the change that needs to come is the acceptance of the gospel and becoming disciples. It isn't things like whether or not you should sit out on a five gallon bucket at twenty below and go fishing. Okay, that's not. You, you have to go from a mentality that says, "Why am I here?" to, "What can I do here?" and allow the Lord to use you to transform that culture. That's what it means to be a missionary. We're going to jump back into the end of this interview in our next podcast. Uh, But for now, all three of us, Michael and Doug, uh, myself, Steve McVeigh, we just want you to know we believe in you, and we believe that you're a missionary, and we want you to thrive as a missionary. Say yeah to the UPA. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're here. The Circuit Riders would like to thank our partners for their interest in assisting rural leaders. Rich Roast Custom Coffee, supporting rural missionaries with a wide variety of delicious worldwide coffees. Our friends at ThinkOrange.com, wanting to join your team to help you create a better experience this week for kids and teenagers. Katrina at CrossroadsFarm.org. Vineyard Small Town USA. Vineyard Small Town USA, equipping churches to plant in small towns across America. Disciples of Jesus, making disciples. MultiplyVineyard.org slash USA. Crossroads Farm, working alongside of rural remote churches to provide an outsourced cooperative youth ministry that really works. CRF, loving the rural team. www.CrossroadsFarm.org Dirt Roads Network transforming rural America by planting and revitalizing life-giving churches in small towns and communities. www.dirtroadsnetwork.com For more information about the Circuit Riders or any of these partners, check out our Facebook page or contact them on each of their websites. On behalf of the Riders, I'm Carl Miller saying, until the next Circuit Riders podcast next week, happy trails.